Hello everyone, Barney here. Welcome to another episode of Loco Just In the background, you might be able to hear my neighbor drilling. This episode is a very special episode because it marks the, uh, the, the change in the format a little bit, uh, and which I've mentioned was going to happen before. Um, so two episodes ago, I had the great pleasure of having Amanda on as a guest and uh, I plucked up the courage to ask her if she would say once a month or something like that come on as a co-host and that's starting today so Amanda welcome as a co-host not a guest. Thank you for welcoming me Bernie I feel very welcome. <laughs> I'm so excited where this our, our exchange and conversation will go. So we've got a little, we've got a loose little plan. Um, Amanda, you said that, that we, well, I mean, we were talking about it and you referred to having um, a main theme as an evergreen theme. I think an evergreen theme is a good idea just because I, I know in listening to a lot of the other podcasts that I like that like Ray Otis does and mm-hmm. uh, Claire Ring Ringmail and a lot of those other podcasts, mm-hmm. I, I find that when I am most intrigued, it's usually when it's geared around something that I feel uh, I could bring to my own table. Cause I, mm-hmm. I think it's important that if, you know, if people are going to be like pontificating uh, to make it grounded in something that's like useful to the listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, yeah, we should definitely flag that up that hopefully what we'll be talking about, like you say, will be something usable and but but then also that will that will tip into design questions of some kind as well won't it yeah. so whether you're designing games or scenarios or uh maybe drawing maps because that's something you do quite a lot these days isn't it yeah um, <laughs> um, <laughs> i, d- I we'll draw come, maps yeah, uh well. the quality you know they they vary in quality i enjoy doing it i'm no yeah. contra- there's some really incredible car cartographers out there doing map making that I deeply respect well I, yes absolutely absolutely yeah you yeah yeah you're not trying to muscle in on their territory I am not I no. I respect that that is not going to be my chosen thing but I enjoy doing it super 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 um and yeah no I what, what I what I wanted to ask you is if we're going to have a different evergreen theme could we could you name what kind of evergreen this evergreen theme is going to be based on? Are you do you know about different kind of evergreen tree types? Uh, I should know better than I do. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of what do would you want to name it after, like a tree or like? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking we could, you know, if we're going to have a different evergreen theme, we could because I've never done anything evergreen before. I suppose. I mean, maybe I have. But it just seems, especially with your recent work, that perhaps if we had a, if we actually uh, kind of had a, a tree sponsor for our theme, it's a bit like Sesame Street. You know, this episode is brought to you by the evergreen trees one, two, and K. The tree in front of my house is a London plane. Um, they're very prevalent in a lot of uh, East Coast cities in the United States. And I, um, I'm not sure if they are evergreen. Probably not. 
I'm looking it up. Evergreenlandscape.net is the London planted evergreen tree. It's very exciting. <laughs> I think it, London plants are not evergreen because they lose their leaves and they get brown every okay. season. So well, evergreen trees are more like pine. Yeah. Things yeah. of that nature. Well, we could it could we could start off seeing as I've just, you know, I've just you know dumped this on you maybe we could treat the london plain like an honorary evergreen tree today because it's got some leaves right it does have leaves yeah they're just yeah. like they're, if you've ever seen them before they're very very large trees where the part the bark kind of looks like it's peeling naturally they're they're very mm. neat trees they have a they're very good for uh can building canopy uh for heat remediation and other things yeah. in urban settings they're also very hardy have you climbed it? I have not climbed it because it's uh, it's huge. Uh, okay. and it's been there. It, it's been growing since it's like at least a seventy-year-old tree, and because a lot of them went into urban settings in like the fifties in the United States. Got so, you. nice. Yeah, I cannot Good. climb well, it. <laughs> well, there we go. I, well, I, th I seem to remember I didn't ask you strange questions, uh, when you came on as a guest. So I guess now I'm. I'm just trying to make up for that a little bit by giving you some some questions. So yeah, we 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 come up with a little format, haven't we, um, for what we're going to do alongside the the evergreen topic. Amanda, would you like to 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 talk about that briefly? Yeah. So uh, what we had planned for today is we would talk a little bit about, since we're both designers, uh, games or adventures that we're working on at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we were going to listen to some voicemails uh, that have come in. Uh, if you'd like to leave a voicemail, I believe you can do that through the Anchor app. Barney can provide more details on that. And then after so that- professional. It's so professional. This is madness. Yeah, brilliant. It's, it's madness. Um, and then we were going to talk a little bit about our- London Plain sponsored topic for today. Yeah. Uh, character creation as like a way to demonstrate what the like the evocative mood of your game should be. Mm. Like how how what you prioritize in character creation in your game kind of shows what kind like the intended experience might be. Mm. Brilliant. Well, that is what we've got coming up. That's what we've got coming up. So Amanda tell us what you've been working on in a in a kind of exciting news flash uh kind of a way uh i just published a karen and old school essentials like osr adventure called tanic that mm -hmm. is based in uh it's essentially it was part of a jam that yohai gall uh hosted called a forest of another name and a lot of folks did really interesting forest adventures for it or other tools related to the OSR game, Cairn. Uh, my particular adventure was grounded in the idea of like a bog forest adventure because uh, I'm very, I spent a lot of time as a kid in the, the New Jersey Pine Barrens, which are uh, like a protected forest in New Jersey in the United mm. States. And so I, they're very well it's called tannic because uh there's a lot of cedar trees in the pine barrens and so it makes all the water and the creeks and the rivers and stuff in those forests look like the color of tea like it's like brown mm. um and during the american revolutionary war 
Uh, there was a lot of um, like Revolutionary War soldiers that would hide in the forest. Um, there's a thing called bog iron, which is when like natural iron deposits happen and it forms essentially in these like creeks and areas within the forest. Uh, and so folks would do um, like, like smelting of that iron in the early days to make like cannonballs and stuff for that war. Um, and just in general, there's a lot of, there was like whaler villages, there's like old um, abandoned towns. And so the Pine Barrens has always struck me as like a very exciting, dynamic, like weird witchy place for adventures. And so that's why I made that adventure the way it is. Um, awesome. The plan right yeah. now, yeah. The plan right now cool. is for, it's gonna be going into print uh, through a store that I can't, it's not like official official yet. So I'm not going to say it yet, but you will hear soon about that uh, as well. Mm, super. Yeah, that's great. Um, and did I see the other day that you tweeted something about working on a space adventure or did I imagine that? Yes, I am writing. I'm writing and I'm writing two adventures right now that are like a little further along. I'm writing another Karen old school essentials adventure. I think those two, it's just easy to do it for both of those, like mm -hmm. set, like those games. And I tend to write very like mechanics, like the mechanic, they're relatively system neutral when I write adventures. So that one is not as far along, but so I can't say much about it other than I'll say the title. It's called Magpies in the Antiquarium. And mm. uh, I'll just leave that there. And then the other yeah. adventure I'm working on right now is uh for mothership which is a sci-fi horror game uh like a kind of loosely connected to the overall osr nsr whatever uh and it's very informed by a lot of the conversations we've been having in the um sustainable games forum mm -hmm. related to solar punk except mm -hmm. yeah i just have been thinking about like Nat like nature and like the violence of nature uh, mm -hmm. in a way that I find has really informed that along with um, all the stuff that's happening in the United States with Lake Mead with like how low the water is in it right now it's all kind of tied into that hydroelectric mm -hmm. dams space mm -hmm. is kind of like what I'm drawing on for that I'm working with a, a contraband rhymer who you might know on Twitter and the NSR discord and other stuff um, he's doing the layout. Mm -hmm. Mm. Super, super. Yeah, I suppose I'd, I'd jump in there and mention the Sustainable Gaming Forum. More and more people have been joining. And lately, in connection with another jam, which was about... <laughs> it was about hope. Uh, a game jam about hope. Um, a bunch of us got together and... For me to say I'm involved in that is pretty, uh, is pretty thread threadbare, really. I did a little bit. I've done a little bit so far, and that is a game that you can get on itch, which is called Lunar Echoes, and it is based on Becky Chambers' Psalm for the Wild Built which is a solar punk novella. And what's really exciting about that project is that we actually have permission from Becky Chambers and her 
publisher and agent to set it officially in that world. So that's a really interesting thing to experience, I suppose, a, in a very small way to actually work with an, a particular intellectual property. You know, the other people that are taking part, you know, they know the story much better. They know uh, Becky's work much better. And so it was amazing that it was amazing to, to dip into that that process of working and just see the kinds of exchanges that people were having and figuring out how the game mechanics could speak to what was in the novel and how the game could go somewhere other than the novel but still work alongside it and the group were just great so I guess you know like with all good things including Tannic we'll put those links in the show notes uh, so you can go and get a look at lunar echoes and that's gonna have a print run we're working on that but then connected with the sustainable gaming forum again which you're now involved in a bit more aren't you amanda yes there's another jam coming up i think this is the second regenerate jam uh and we're coming up with a an OSR solar punk, uh, an urban-ish setting, aren't we? The really nice thing about all of this is that with the previous project, but then with the Lunar Echoes and with the new solar punk setting, it it feels like these collaborative, uh, these collaborative game jam projects are a really vibrant way for the for the forum to exist and get people chatting yeah i agree because i find that with that kind of uh said i with like discords it's like i can only be in so many that are tied to just like endlessly talking about mechanics mm. or mm. particular adventures people like i do enjoy um i think partially because i can't i come originally from like a theatrical design background and which is a very collaborative uh, type of mm -hmm. doing art. I enjoy the fact that it's very, the set like Sustainable Games Forum, I feel like has a very clear set of like, like collaborative, trying to not like recreate like the way that capitalism has projects undergo things. And it's more <laughs> geared around uh, trying to approach things in a way that is not like your value is only what you produce. Like, even if this solar yeah. punk setting doesn't itself happen, I think that it will probably give birth to other smaller projects, which yeah. I think is great. What you're saying about Discord is really important. Uh, it's, I think it's important to, I, I enjoy being part of disc, certain Discords for certain things, certain announcements or certain things that some people might throw in. But the really exciting ones, I think, are the smaller ones where there's there's a there's a bit more personal interaction and you're kind of talk really talking about something or working on something so i guess what we should be encouraging people to do is is make your make your discord have a purpose not just for uploading gifs not that gifs aren't fun because they are but yeah no so, sorry did i say that did i say that sorry okay that's just my <laughs> just my thing 
uh, other thing is I've put in I've put in quite a big application to do a, a second young people's international exchange role-playing game design project the follow-up to tricksters net and i'm waiting to hear the outcome of that i i really hope that we get the funding um because that will mean that me running the project centrally you know being this being the, the 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 project leader that means i'll be all set up and I don't have to think of where else to get funding from. But we've got other people in different places who are getting money for things. And that's all very exciting. It's actually going to involve some some trips which will be paid for by the Erasmus Plus programme. So I think we've got a good chance of getting the funding because we've got enough other bits of partner funding here and there. So I'm really... I'm really hopeful and optimistic about that, but that's that was quite a big thing, and and you know neo triassic shoreline regression syndrome keeps going. Um, I'm really enjoying playtesting that with my wonderful little new gang, not mine, the wonderful new gang of actual players uh, that uh, that uh, we've set up called End of Plays. And that's a real blast. That's a real blast. So um, all sorts of different things knocking around there from me. Amanda, have you got any recommendations that you would like to just flag up or anything that's really jumping out of you from anywhere in the world in any different, in any kind of form? In terms of like things I'm reading right now, I'm kind of in a big research phase at the moment. I've been looking at a lot of like, the existing uh, mothership adventures that exist, mm -hmm. and one mm -hmm. I really found, and I something I really like about all of them that I've found is like there is like they're very much geared towards create like the kind of adventure writing that I like. Meaning mm -hmm. they're not writing an adventure; they're writing locations with stuff that's happening that's going to happen mm -hmm. in them regardless. Mm -hmm. And there's just like clears ways you can like ways that a play like a GM can get the players involved or not it, it's just like a looser way of writing that i think is more like fun and also there's just like mm -hmm. so many good generators within these like i love a random table which we're going to talk mm -hmm. about more in character creation but mm -hmm. there's just last night i was using um dead the name tables and dead planet um if you turn to page 24 in uh the pamphlet if you have it there's a table called d100 colonists and survivors and it's just so flavorful and fun. And I mm -hmm. just so, you know, they don't need, they don't need me telling them that Dead Planet is good, but Dead Planet's <laughs> very good. <laughs> and is that, is that a, a particularly good example of, of that looser way of writing that you were talking about, would you say? Yeah, in the sense of, I would say, I mean, I would say the writing itself is very tight, but in the more yes. in the sense of like, um, like the a way of structuring a scenario because mm -hmm. i think there With was those... like a th yeah yeah because i think that it's like it's it creates like dynamic situations in multiple locations that are all tied around a theme mm -hmm. or at least that's my read of it mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. and so i should take a look i haven't i haven't 
I haven't looked at that. It might be too grim for you, but I, I really like it. <laughs> well, well, I do, well, you know, I don't know. I can, I can, I can do grim. I can do grim. Yeah, that's true. Um, New Triassic <laughs> shoreline regression syndrome is like a mix of like hopeful grim. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's hopeful grim. Hopeful grim. Um, super. I was I was going to just flag up two things. I I I spent a, an obscene amount of money on some books a, a little while back, um, and I bought. So I bought Patrick Stewart's Silent Titans, uh, which is a lovely book. Yeah, and I I did get the PDF when it was free during the lockdown i can't some somebody was offering it and i i was just you know i just had it there um happy as larry like so many other pdfs but i knew that i i knew that i wanted it because it basically uses chris mcdowell's into the odd uh rules and there's an interview with chris mcdowell in there um and so I, I was really intrigued by it. And I have to say, it is a lovely book. And it is a brilliantly put together adventure. And I would, I would love to run it. I would love to run it. Um, why, why is it so interesting? It's because it takes a real place and just twists the reality of that place. So it takes this area in Britain called the Wirral um, and just distorts it. So it may be, you know, it could be equated with your tannic where you've, you've got a, a real place, but something else is going on there. But this is the Wirral, but a different Wirral. Um, I love the idea of that. I, but I also, I love all of Patrick's work. It's so... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm very into like there was a conversation that was happening on Luke Gearing's Discord the other day about like writing adventures in a way that isn't like spoon feeding everything to you necessarily, where it's mm -hmm. like you want things to be accessible because accessibility is important. You want things to be mm -hmm. playable and runnable, mm -hmm. but there should be things about it that are like that challenge the reader, that challenge mm -hmm. like the GM to like bring something of themselves to the adventure. Mm -hmm. and or at least it and that can i think play out in a couple different ways you can incorporate uh like a certain element of like randomness so that uh the oh here comes the word again that the adventure can be relatively evergreen and not every run <laughs> of it is the same yeah <laughs> yeah and that that feeds back to to what you're saying about dead planet and mothership right as well um one thing i wanted to say about silent titans as well is there's there's a double spread on uh, running adventures. And I think it's some of the best adventure running advice. And I'd, and I'd love, you know, maybe that's the topic we can come back to another time, you know, scenarios, adventures, that kind of thing. And, and, it, and I'd love to kind of scoot through some of the highlights of that. And the other thing is that I got, which I am, I am really, really impressed with i have to say not that i'm any less impressed by silent titans or anything but 
this is also really cool and it's luca rejects ultraviolet grasslands and the black city it's it's quite expensive um i mean you know not 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 really not necessarily it, but that's what and the same as silent titans they 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 both got a relatively high price tag i would say but they they are both brilliant and there's so much great stuff um in in ultraviolet grasslands exactly like you were saying and that jogs my memory about this idea of of in being able to in, to to insert some of yourself into these adventures that it's not all there and absolutely and i think what's interesting is there's this kind of ricochet effect isn't there where the this there's this idea for a scenario which has been created and you then pick it up and if there is that space created let's say first for the gm then they can start to populate it with something and then when they when they run it for a group there are also those possibilities for the for the players to to contribute and insert ideas into that world as well so i think there's this kind of ricochet through the structures of of those kinds of scenario designs that you're talking about that approach i agree there's been a lot of like kerfuffle i think on ttrpg twitter about the idea of um designer intent and it's I don't really care about like that those kind of conversation necessarily. I think there's a lot of value in like people debating and have like mm -hmm. thinking through why we make games, how we make games, et cetera. But I don't know. The thing I always tend to care about is just the idea of it's the designer does not own what the game ends up being at your table and, and neither does the GM. It's like, it, it like, like you were saying, it's like everything about this, form of interacting with each other is grounded in the idea of it being deeply collaborative i think it's like you're creating what that world is right there for you mm -hmm. and i think avery I, alder's work does that very well like all of her work is incredible mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what i suppose the author provides is that that structure or some kind of map or a, a pathway so that you you don't have to be thinking about where something's going necessarily if you don't want to you like you're not worrying about that you you know as the gm or the players you you know where it's going you you know where what the aims are but but there's there's all of that space so you feel supported if that's something you like and at the same time, you're being encouraged to um, to be more and more and more and more imaginative, I suppose. Yeah, some people need like everyone needs some support to get to the level of creativity they want to do. Like when I mm. run games, I don't I tend to have I run very I run things pretty loose and I mm. tend to be a fairly improvisational GM or referee or warden or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I know that some folks need more in terms of like read aloud and things or like ideas of like, how would I adjudicate if X comes up? And I think mm -hmm. when you're writing an event, like a scenario or whatever, it's all about like providing, I, I think tiered levels of support 
for what you would anticipate the GM might need mm -hmm. with the understanding mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you can't anticipate everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Smashing, smashing. Well, before we get into a debate about scenario design, which we can do maybe next time. Um, so, you know, if people want to call in uh, with something about scenario design, uh, then please, please do. That might be where we're heading. Let's see. Um, should we move on to uh, our messages? Yes. Now, these, these are two messages from Jason Connolly, presenter of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, who, um, who is a wonderful chap. And um, two of his messages, two of his messages are directly, uh, directly connected to our last discussion. So that's why I think it's good if we if we pick these up and respond to them. Hello, Barney. Jason here. Just wanted to say, when Amanda said solo swashbuckling game, I saw you smile right through the podcast because you can't say swashbuckling or hear the word swashbuckling without smiling. So I just thought I would share that with you, old chap. Ta-ta. Jason, thank you for sending that in. Also, yeah, you can't say swashbuckle without smiling. It's just, it's just such a, like a, ostentatious and fun word absolutely now jason is referencing the fact that i've talked about that very principle um in the past um and so he's so he's referencing that and doing his best kind of errol flynn uh <laughs> accent there and so i was just wondering yeah if if there's if there's if there's anything more you could you could add to to the swashbuckling work you've done so far um with that ostentatiousness is there is there something like i don't know an item or an action or something that for you really signposts swashbucklery i think about swashbuckling the way i think about like musical theater it's like it's like big and broad uh and so <laughs> There's a thing, I don't remember what it's from. It's like make brave and heroic decisions. And I feel like swashbuckling is kind of like an attitude that you bring to a game as a player mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. as a GM. It's like creating an environment where you put lots of toys and things that the players can interact with and just do things very, make fun, bold decisions. Like for example, I was running my, uh, I've been running this spell jammer game for like two years now, which, mm -hmm. uh, and so in like a home design setting with my players collaboratively. And so in this uh, game, there was a, uh, a, in this game, essentially they need to like destroy these big, large bells. Cause they're going to summon an, like a giant eldritch, like death serpent. Cool. That's going to eat the yeah. sun. It's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so uh, they happen to be in this like old uh, 
abandoned temple that was being guarded by uh, giant mushrooms that are sentient. Mm -hmm. Cause that's just kind of how I roll when I run games. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. out of the pit of where the bell, like the bell, I belfry, I guess. The belfry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Crawled out these two giant stone uh, gargoyles that tried to, to fight them. And so I made a point of in this setting to create things like, uh, like a belfry they could climb and like a pit mm -hmm. they could jump over. And it's like, but if you, mm -hmm. if you add setting elements uh, that encourage uh, swashbuckly type actions mm, mm. Uh, in your fights or in your like uh, you know in your adventures or sessions mm -hmm. or whatever it encourages people to be bold and then if you reward that uh, mm -hmm. then they'll do it more so mm. if you want your game to have that kind of tone you have to set up the things for it and then and then reward it when they do it like give them extra mm. cool things mm -hmm that's yeah that's that's so cool that's that's so cool I, I and i guess you know we've got that word cavalier haven't we which mm -hmm. of course refers to a kind of swords guard guards person with a sword but but then now we have this meaning of being cavalier which is you know being a little bit wild i suppose yeah absolutely absolutely and I, I suppose I think of it as a little bit as you, you kind of don't care. You can throw in, in a role playing game. I feel like you can really throw your character around and there's a pretty good chance they're going to survive. So you might as well see how it goes. That's my... <laughs> attitude to swashbuckling like you know jump in jump into the monster's mouth right if if that's yeah. the right thing to do yeah if yeah if the way to have a boring game is to punish people for doing things that are fun like <laughs> like if you make a game so that everyone is uh scared of stepping on any particular tile you're gonna mm -hmm. it's like it disincentivizes like boldness creative decision making Mm -hmm. Um, so like, I don't know. I remember one time I read through, there's this book, uh, Grimtooth something. It's like basically a mm -hmm. lot of like old school, uh, traps. And I was mm -hmm. like, I would, these are fun in a sense, but like, I would have to really be in the right frame of mind to, to, with the right group of people to put these in an adventure, because it just would mean them walking around with a 10 foot pole and poking everything all the time. Mm. And, and thinking every NPC you know has murderous intent and mm -hmm. that's just like mm -hmm. not what i want in my game <laughs> well i tell you what let's, let's let's talk about traps another time as well because yes. i think traps are fascinating and problematic all at the same mm -hmm. time so i think we could have a lot of fun with that i'm noting that one down yeah. Super. Now, Jason actually carries on. He's kind of got a continuation. Well, he's continuing to respond to uh, to things that you you were talking about. So mm -hmm. I'll, uh, here it goes. Hey, Barney, Jason here. Really love the interview with Amanda. I loved her offerings to the Ludic Behemoth. Thought, thought they were excellent, excellent offerings. You, you know, when she started initially, when she started describing her project and the you know, the pilgrimage and you know you're part of an order and you're heading out and doing all this i just recently watched the spine of night i don't know if you've seen it 
it's a new animation rotoscope you know full feature motion picture it's kind of sword and sorcery kind of like a successor to fire and ice i guess you know by rap basky and um yeah i don't know i kind of got that they have this order of scholars in in the spine of night that are kind of doing their own thing and you know, to preserve knowledge in books, even though that's not what the world really needs them to do. So it's kind of interesting. But anyhow, great job. Look forward to your next one. Have you seen Spine of Night or heard of it? Because I hadn't heard anything of it. I had not heard of it either, but I'm looking at it and it remind, very much reminds me of uh, the Ralph Bakshi uh, Hobbit. It looks like it came out in 2021. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, when a young man steals forbidden knowledge from a sacred plant, he falls to a darker temptation. That that, that is a that is a fun um an interesting idea. Apparently it's like ultra violent like fantasy thing. I'm not always like great with super gory stuff personally, but it seems except for like Akira, like Akira is very good. <laughs> but um <laughs> And so you gross. know, and everything else, everything else, but uh, other than Akira is just sub sub horrific. So uh, <laughs> you know, why bother? Yeah, but um, this is it. Yeah, it seems very. It definitely seems like a psychedelic, like mm. heavy metal magazine, mm. but in like kind of almost but modern. It, it looks cool. Yeah. So so thank you for that recommendation, Jason. Amanda and I both need to seek it out um, and hopefully it will appear on some streaming service uh, sooner rather than later for us. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's nice to get something. Uh, I mean, I love rotoscoping for a start, but as well to have a, a, a more adult kind of animation, I think is also nice to get from time to time. Um, I did. I did like you know. I did like um, um, Scanner Darkly. I do like mm. um, all of that. All of that. You know, Richard Linklater and Bob Sabiston uh, is the animator, but not on Scanner Darkly in the end. I think because they tried to rip him off. Anyway, so the, so that was that was that. But yeah, Spine of Night. Spine of Night. Um, well, Amanda, should we should we move on to our main topic? I think we should. So give us give us that that little summary again of, of the angle that we're coming at this from. Let's see if I remember it correctly. Uh, so we want to look at uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about character creation in games because it's I, something that I think about a lot is like when you're writing a game, it's like when you're creating a character creation process, I often think it tends to be one of the more important things you do mm-hmm. because like the game starts where the players are. So it's like, if you create a mm-hmm. character creation, like tables and other things of that nature that are uh, like dynamic and interesting and tied into your intention for the game itself, I think it adds a lot to it. Mm-hmm. You said something like what it evokes or what it uh, no yeah what it evokes about the setting or the was something like that yeah that sounds right um and and i think i think you're absolutely spot on uh i i was just looking at the troika book 
um, before we started. And, and as I read the paragraph about creating your own, um, um, are they archetypes or um, whatever they are, um, professions or whatever they yeah. are. Um, and I was reading that and what was what struck me about that is, it's talking about the game master creating the range of different possibilities, which can then be chosen by the players. It's not talking about the players creating their own uh, type of profession. And it's not really said explicitly, but that, that got me thinking, partly because of things that I might talk about in a little, in a little while. Uh, but I thought that was interesting in terms of what you're talking about, that if you if you want to, if not define, but indicate the scope of a world or a setting that that range of characters where and like you say, where the characters start from um, can be super helpful in doing that. I can think of like I can think of two really good examples for that off the bat. Um, Electric Bastion Land, I think, is like yeah. a like an incredibly dynamic example of like what were what like what that can look like. I I find the idea of failed careers as a grounding principle for your character concept to be at this like both um, Im like immensely evocative in a way that is like like can be a bummer, but also mm -hmm. it just gives you a, like a real launching pad for. A player to like really buy into or like just like create something very original themselves while having a solid like underpinning because not everybody yep. feels i feel like there was a thing for a while where people were writing like and, and maybe in some circles this is still true like writing like very long backgrounds for their characters and things like that and for me that isn't like my personal creative outlet though that is for other people and mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. when I, I am very, I've become very much come around on the idea positively on the idea of like, as much of your character creation should be somewhat like in terms of like background and gear packages and things like that should be mm. for me for fun, like randomly rolled as possible, because I mm -hmm, think that mm -hmm. it gives you, it's like, when you think about like making a soup it's like you need to, or like a dashi, it's like you need to build it, like build and muddle the flavors gradually. And when you are able to do that with flavorful tables done in a somewhat mm -hmm. random way, it, when all those things hang together well, you end up creating like a fun, like character concept or party concept. When we, mm -hmm. I ran my play test for Tannic on um, the, the New School Revolution Discord the other day. Uh, mm -hmm. we ended up, all the characters ended up rolling the same birthmark. And hmm. so we decided that they were a family of traveling adventurers together mm. and it kind of ended up being like, and it worked very well because it immediately created a certain level of cohesion mm -hmm. that would not have happened naturally if we, that hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gosh, so many things there. I was going to say. I totally agree with you with Bastionland. I love this idea of a career that you were rubbish at, which still defines you, but you no longer do it. You know, that's just great and 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 humorous. And uh, in in the 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 Stone Age game that I'm working on, Alluvial Plains, 
the there's there's a tribe creation process and you which feeds into character creation where you you roll for the age of your character and you know there are different kind of probabilities for that and what what's really interesting there is you if you're rolling for the tribe you're also rolling for the dominant the, the majority age range so for example um with with one group we created a tribe that was largely very very largely made up of older people and then the group themselves rolled apart from one so i don't know there were maybe five five six six people i think maybe um apart from one who that was an adult all the rest rolled young people youths so what that defined was that within the tribe this group of young people would be relatively rare if you like uh, mm -hmm. which which yeah absolutely is 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 really um really an interesting thing and what i was um i know you're waving a book around so maybe you want to give a little reading of something but i wanted to just push what you were saying about the evocativeness uh, a bit a bit further because for me a character sheet let me let's say a character a created character precisely because it's where the players start th th what is on that character sheet in a in a i suppose a mechanical way is the scope of that setting that's that's everything that a person if they are people or a thing whatever your character is that is the that's the total scope of what something can do in that world and you might be good at some things and not good at other things but that's it you know it, it kind of defines how gravity works or biology or education or all of those things and and to go even further with this i think and i've and i've i think i've called in to che webster on roleplay rescue about this going back a while that i think the 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 scope of the character sheet carries an ontological structure in the the setting right so it's about being it's about a fundamental form of being um but if if that character if the character sheet has an ontological power within the setting i think that within the 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 players level within the mechanical level within the meta level of the group that character sheet has an epistemological function that is to say it's about knowledge it's about what we know so the the the, the character sheets are are created by designers as 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 a demonstration of a theory of knowledge as a as a as a plan of knowledge precisely so that within the fiction they can have a an ontological resonance 
when you're trying to do things. So this idea of starting with character creation or how important that is to a game, I'm totally, totally with you on that. And I think even if maybe the what comes out in the end occupies only a small part of it, it, it may well have taken uh, a major amount of the design time to formulate and think through. And that's all I had to say on that matter. I don't know. I, I, you... I know I found it. I think in terms of examples of like char how character sheet creates like the reality of like what play is. Like I'm looking at the Karen character sheet right now, and it's like the main pro things that are prominent are the character's abilities, and then very large is the character's um like bag of inventory, like their their rucksack mm. or whatever mm -hmm. you would want to call it, because mm -hmm. everything that you are able do to do in terms of if you have magic or other things of that nature is geared around what you're carry you are carrying, mm -hmm. and you have. I think ten, I think I believe it's ten inventory slots. So, um, if you have a spell book, you're able to cast that spell. Like if you have a a sword that's tagged as bulky, like a big sword, it's like it takes up two uh, two inventory mm -hmm. slots. And so it's like everything. It's about it's like a that and I think knave also is is like this where it's mm -hmm. based around a certain. It's like a it's like resource management and limited resource management as a a way to convey um resources and also scarcity like you have to be able mm -hmm. to solve problems based on what you have and then mm -hmm. your brain mm -hmm. and i think this idea of creating a portrait of a character you know we could you know a character sheet is like that as well right that you you create a portrait of the character with with if you like no background you know it, i mean not there's no visual background if you like it is the figure everything is carried by that character that they have they have their possessions they have their scars they have their dis other distinguishing features they have their abilities you know you're building up this hopefully well-rounded sense of who this person or thing is and where they've where they've come from and where they might be going and I think that's great because, of course, you want to move that character into different settings, different adventures. Um, so, so they need to be not too tied to their their home realm, I suppose. Um, and and that that you know what you're talking about with Kern, Kern, Kern there, I think points to the fact that a person is not. It's not just a spiritual thing or a cognitive thing or a biological thing. They're, they're also defined by their accoutrements as well. I have actually another game I would, I think is a good example of like how you, you know, character creation creates intended, like, like in how Philly informs play. Um, Nature May from Highland Paranormal Society has a game that's like newer and it's called um pilgrims of misfortune and your three main attributes are frailty clumsiness and doubt and everything is about like overcoming the weakness of the flesh essentially and 
I find that very fun and very uh, like evocative as well in the same way because it's like if you were building a character based on their frailties I feel that it would like if a character is like is has like high frailty it's like it's like they they might then be uh like gun shy about like doing particular things I feel like it adds a lot to Mm -hmm. role play with like Mm -hmm. um like like an elegant kind of curtness, like it gets right to the point. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. and I always admire that in game design. So there are other systems, aren't there, where you've got a a hindrance or a a, a weakness or something like that, aren't there? There's so, but is there anything more to say about that idea of of embedding a weakness in a character? To, in in character creation design in order to create characters that need to take that on in some way uh, i i would say that it gives the character like an embedded purpose that is right there it's like all right like it and creates a central tension for them to make their decisions more dynamic mm-hmm. so like yeah so something somewhat related there their dungeon crawl classics has stuff around like you're like you're born under essentially like a birth auger or like a birth sign and you also have like a luck score and it's because everything in that game is so overwhelmingly difficult at times in terms of challenges like you're very mm-hmm. outclassed by the things that you are facing and so mm-hmm. it's like the signs you're born under and the luck that you have are ways that you can sometimes overcome these like overwhelmingly overwhelming odds and mm-hmm. when you're approaching challenges and so i think that's another way that it's like everything you're fa- you're going to face is like terribly difficult but it mm-hmm. there there is a side there is a possibility the gods get intercede on your behalf essentially i'm playing in a, a little adventure run by jacob wood um he's running his own um he's running his own game survival of the able which is a fudge kind of system uh so in jacob's survival of the able everyone has some kind of disability and so my character can't speak so has to use hand uh gestures i won't say it's sign language because it seems it's it's not codified um only with you know friends uh, that she has but so what that means is that she's got certain disadvantages when it comes to not being able to speak. But then what Jacob does is kind of take that as an opportunity to amplify what the strengths are. So, for example, she's got really high intuition and um, and she's really good at, at doing hand signals and those kinds of things. So. It's it's got this there's that that interplay between the um what you're really good at and what you're not so good at it's i think really interesting there and i i guess i've kind of taken a bit of a leaf maybe kind of out out, out of jacob's book for neo triassic um but i can't remember if i had I mean, I'd already, I'd already backed the Kickstarter, so I think, I, you know, I can hardly, 
I can hardly say that it was completely independent, but I, I was with, with one of the, the playtest groups, they were saying, yeah, in, you know, in the future, why don't you give everyone a kind of amplified stat or a special ability where they're really like, they're super good at this because of genetic engineering or something like that. And I thought about this, I thought about this and I thought actually in the future where sea levels have risen and it's really hot and life is hard, I thought actually I'm going to, I'm going to ask players to give their characters a disability or a condition. Now they're not mechanical, but there's something that defines their character. And more often than not, people will want to match that up with their stats, right? Um, what they feel works. But, you know, just because you might, just because you've, you, you might be missing a leg, it doesn't mean you have to have a low speed score. You know, it's, so to me, that doesn't, those two things can work together but they don't have to so i'm interested to see where that will develop further and and this and then also in terms of the setting this idea that people have generally been through something that might have injured them or perhaps the way that you know the human human genetics are developing that that there's some flaw like it might be a nutritional come from a nutritional lack or something um so so i'm having i'm definitely having fun with that as well have you got anything next on your list of things of thoughts in terms of in terms of other things related to character creation yeah yeah because i've got a little list here i've got my little bullet points here unless let's do let's do yours well okay and and you obviously tell me if uh um if if that jogs you know or, or set something off in your mind oh one thing one thing i've been obsessed with for a while is trying to design character sheets that fit on one side of a5 that's what i've really been obsessed with uh for ages just in terms of table presence table management that you don't have you know loads of a4 sheets i think i, I haven't played runequest very much but I, I i played in in one game and we got the you know we got the pre-gens we got the the character sheets and it's four sides it's four sides and you're just flipping around and i'm just thinking ah so the idea of getting your character evocative enough onto one one page i think is for me is for me a really great challenge a5 is pretty small too so that would be yeah yeah because i think here like most of the ones i know that are smaller it's like half page so you have us letters so which is around a4 mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. yeah and of course yeah. i mean when i print them out at home i just print them out at a4 so it's a total it's a total uh, fantasy that I'm really sticking to A5, but um, I like I like that idea. And also, but also in terms of not needing to have so much information that the font has to be really tiny. You know, there's so many levels to that to that design challenge. Um, okay, but in terms of 
in terms of character creation, I was thinking we've got the differences between player character creation and GM character creation. And I thought maybe we could chat about that a little bit. And then I was thinking about specific aspects. You talked about this a little bit earlier that what really interests me is the the relationships between uh choice free choice random elements and what i've written down as stipulations or fixed elements i think that's really interesting and i think that's where i you know i i think that's where it's what am I trying to say? I would be, I, I think the dynamic between the, the relationship between choice, random elements and fixed elements or stipulations, I think is, is really interesting. And, and maybe if we're, if we have got some, if we can think about some examples like that, but also I think very much in terms of my own character creation process, my own design process there so I, I i wonder if that's a similar thing for you but should we should we start with players and gms sure yeah i get i have some thoughts on um like npcs or gm characters Go for um, it. yeah so the way that i tend to write them is uh like when i'm writing adventures or anything else is there or when i'm doing it for a session it's usually like name a a sense like a usually like a short phrase or sentence that's like their vibe like mm-hmm. what would be like what they come across as uh their appearance their voice their drive and maybe some something like a hook something they might want mm-hmm. and so like an example from let me see if i can get tannic open where are we characters from village of tannic okay so an example might be Prince Sebastian. And so like the vibe sentence for him would be the fallen prince strains to see clearly through his memories, his sorrowful song, charming all who hear them, filling their hearts with devotion. And so then the appearance is just like a description of his out, like what he's wearing and what he looks like. I included for him, I included more as like smells, speech, like his voice. So it's like speaks in an antiquated lilting cadence that charms and drive desires nothing above being reunited for his comrades an impossible thing because he's dead <laughs> and you do the voices right yeah i play it yeah i've done two i've done a live play of like a like a voiced game of this with my regular group that i run other things mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. and then i did a play-by-post version of it and would the players see that descriptor of the the, the antiquated lilting yeah in the p yeah in a play-by-post i would say that and then in a live game i would just do it that's cool i have to say that i just because of life i i normally get to a game and i've got the bare minimum prepped Oh, me too. This is an adventure that I've finished. Like other things okay. like, are much, <laughs> much looser. Like I get, I could give you an example of something like my session from like last night. That's like a little, like way less that what I wrote for the character, one of the characters. Um, Do you stat them up as well? So I'll st- I stat them when I think I'll need stats. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't always stat them because I don't like if it's a character that like 
there's if they if somebody's fighting this character there's something really wrong with the way the session is going <laughs> like i made this character this character uh nika glockenspiel three diamonds of inter- excellent interior decorating one liger of extreme collecting uh she's new money uh she they got their money from uh writing a jingle and she loves gossip rags and then i wrote effie trinket so sometimes that's what i'll do <laughs> amazing yeah i love that that character that's great i'd love to meet 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 her yeah that's cool yeah i'm exactly like you i'd only really get do the stats when i need to because like you know when you say it's going badly if they're fighting them you know that could be at either end of the spectrum couldn't it it could be a really i don't know vulnerable character weak vulnerable character who really shouldn't be getting pushed around or it could be something that is really just far too powerful and is going to absolutely annihilate you yes exactly like it's like either the players are being bullies or they've been or the npc (laughs) has been um provoked to such an extent or they're just like messing around with powers beyond their ken (laughs) i wonder if people who really like gming uh, way more than playing i wonder if that npc thing kind of contributes to that fascination with the, with with gming more than playing i i don't know i don't know oh because they get to play more do create more characters like they get to play the whole world as opposed to just one person yeah 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 uh in one game my character died in a, in a call of cthulhu game uh, rather unexpectedly should we should i say um and i took over uh, one of the npc roles we had a we had a junior photographer that we just pushed around and 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 his his catchphrase was fucking hell mister so when i got to take barry uh barry clapper on as a character i had i had his catchphrase i had and we had the whole kind of social dynamic uh, set up and that was that was a hell of a lot of fun to to just be this grumpy put upon uh, junior photographer that is fun i had a character that i randomly made using like an npc that they needed some I, I needed a name so i looked in dead planet and i was like d100 names and i came up with jesse bonano who was a guard and jesse bonano <laughs> essentially is Paul Rudd in Wet Hot American Summer when he is always like not just like doesn't want like a disaffected youth who doesn't want to do anything but played by an adult just like mm. being like oh why you know <laughs> I have a feeling <laughs> they loved him so much that I'm probably going to continue to have him have menial jobs in places that they go because he keeps getting fired because they keep uh messing it up for him <laughs> yeah super 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 mm. so uh, should we should we talk about choice random elements and fixed elements or stipulations or something what where would you like to start amanda i i think we could just start from the top so by choice do you mean the character the player gets to have complete uh control over all their stats choosing like a 5e where it's like you choose the background you choose their bonds and flaws like okay yeah that well i wasn't i wasn't thinking about these 
these elements in any particular way. And I guess what I was thinking of was the way that you can choose some parts and some other parts are random and other parts are fixed. And I did start to think mm. about, say, that example of, of 5e or some other similar system where you have choice as to what, uh, what do they still call it a race? I don't know what, what it, race. I don't know. <laughs> so so you you can choose your your race you can choose your kind of your career path um but by choosing those you then move into a series of fixed elements yeah or stipulations where you 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 do this or you do that or you can't do this and you can't do that so for example you you can't use magic because you've chosen to be X, Y, or Z. So there are kind of inclusions and exclusions. And, and I think if you've got, I mean, the question of choice, you know, if you've got five different classes to choose from, yes, that's choice, but it is limited choice. And if once you've chosen one of those, you have, let's say, um, uh, you can choose two abilities from two sets of five you, you you do have choice but again it's kind of limited choice so you're kind of going through these these if you like minor decisions which take you to a particular fixed configuration yeah um so I guess I guess I'm also interested in choice when it is pretty wide open. Yeah, like um, I feel like burning wheels fairly wide open. Mm -hmm. I want to say, for which I've only read like once. So mm. forgive me, burning wheel people, if I screwed up. But it's like um, character creation is based basically. It's like a life path system. I think Traveler is also a life path system, and so mm -hmm. it's like. Maybe that's a better way to think about it is like all character creation has usually it will have like open parts, fixed parts. And uh, what was the third thing you said? Uh, like choice, fixed and random. And it's like maybe it's about what percentage of each that particular system has. And it kind of gives you a better idea of maybe the intended play. Totally, like, for totally. Example, yeah, go on. Like yeah. classless, like class, like Karen. I keep talking about Karen today because it's like right in front of me, and I just ran it. Yeah. But Karen is a like a classless system, so your ability to do things is based around your gear, mm -hmm. which could include spell books. Mm -hmm. You you roll stats, I believe, in Karen. Mm -hmm. Well, that it's kind of based on um, into the odd, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's an into the, yeah. It's basically if into the odd and nave and a little mm -hmm. bit of indie hack, mm -hmm. uh, had a, like a, like a love child, <laughs> it would be Karen, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So that would be my, yeah. So it's like, I think it's like, if you did like, that's one of those decisions you make. It's like, is my game going to have classes or isn't my game going to have classes? Mm. Um, with pilgrimage of the sun guard, I decided to go with like character, like archetypes. And so, not necessarily classes, but the idea of like the way you choose to approach the world. And I mean, you know, thinking back to to creating my character for that, 
you know you like you said you had those you had those those fixed elements but then but then there was that space for me to uh, add to it embellish it to add the specifics and so on um so i you know yeah i was i was i was this type of person with this type of background but i could i could say exactly what type of background um and how i how i interpreted those things yeah i, I um so yeah you're talking about how that tells you about the intended play uh but also then the intended world and i think that's what brings us back to this kind of ontology epistemology thing um what that what that split is between between the open fixed and random and i also think that that leads to what understanding what type of game it is that you're playing and i think that is such an important thing i think it's so important to know what types of games you like because mm -hmm. you can be totally put off by a board by board games if you play the wrong type of game you can be totally put off with role-playing games in a number of different ways of course but i think if you don't if you don't gel with the system if it doesn't make some kind of ontological and epistemological sense to you you won't enjoy it and of course i i don't mean that we all have to have a big you know philosophical rumination about the nature of ontology and epistemology in our settings i'm talking just about that very much more earthy intuitive sense that we think why is it why is it like that or oh oh i wonder what that means or um does that mean i can do this or oh look at the way that you combine the uh the modifiers or you know just those kinds of ways that we get to that sense of of intended play the nature of the world and so on and so on and so on yeah like for example if you are if a game is like when you look at some games are like if a game has all magic comes from spell books, mm. for example, you do character creation. If you don't have a spell book, you can't cast any magic because mm. you don't have that magic. That implies a setting where there are no there. If there are all magic is contained within books and literacy, mm. um, it implies that maybe there isn't any sort of like people have got appalling memories. People have appalling memories. <laughs> Uh, it's tied around the ability to write uh, and and then makes you think is like, where does the magic is it a, is like magic like science in that setting where it's like mm -hmm. writing it in a book is a way for the human or whatever mind to comprehend this um, act of arcane or divine providence mm -hmm. that is harnessed at like and at little or great cost, mm -hmm. you know, depending on like what that looks like in that mm -hmm. um, particular character. Absolutely, yeah. And if and if magic costs your character something, I've always really liked this bit in um, Sinbad and the oh god, is it? It's the gold. I think. Oh no, it's the. Oh, uh, is it the Golden Voyage? Golden Voyage of Sinbad with Tom Baker in the Doctor Who actor. I always loved the fact that every time he cast a spell, he got a bit more wizened. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. his hands got a bit more wrinkly and i i don't think i've i don't think i've really got to that yet but I, I, in some ways i have with a with a kind of um economy of you know an energy economy i love energy economies um but that idea that i i love that idea that basically that magician tom baker has probably only got 20 spells in him in it, it at all or something like that he will turn to desiccated skin and bone if if he casts that many more spells um so it's i don't know if that's the opposite of swashbucklery uh, but i still think there's something cool there yeah i i'm i started doing a guy x 1975 challenge which is um this thing that ray otis like it's a zine that ray otis made mm-hmm. um that is like a distillation of this like this like article in a zine or something that gary gygax wrote in the 70s mm-hmm. but it's like but and so for that project it's part of it is very tied to the i really wanted to do like a a magic like an in, like after you and i talked about um poetry magic I like mm-hmm. really stuck with me and it's like, not that it's, and like, like it made me think about like uh, Ursula K. Le Guin and like Le Guinian magic, like mm-hmm. naming and things. And so I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, there, that is like not as far along, but it's like a soup of stuff I'm thinking about right now. Mm. Cause mm. I don't know. I found it very uh, evo- like provocative in a, in like a good way. Like when we mm-hmm. talked about it. Mm-hmm. There was, yeah. there was someone last, year in zine quest that put together this magic uh zine where you used words you combined words oh is it quarrel and fable is it the one that um i know you're talking about was that the one i thought it was that's sean's isn't it yeah i thought sean did something related to that i don't know sean i just know him on twitter but yeah i yeah. he did something oh. thomas Manuel, who runs that like indie email list also mm-hmm. has a thing like that i don't know yo I, I was trying to track down a bunch of them because i wanted to read a bunch of these systems just because i think they're fun mm-hmm. goblins laws of gaming uh that uh arnold kemp and then many other people in the glog community has written mm-hmm. um also has i think there's some folks who have done stuff around that with like words and magic i want to mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. yeah we're going a little afield we're going a little afield sorry well that's <laughs> yeah that's good that's good i i i guess uh with, without wanting to sound like a a kind of complete stuck-up idiot kind of coming back to this thing about what games you like i think what i've really tried with my character creation especially for the counterpoint system, which is in League of Eternal Guardians and Trickster's Net. Um, I, I'm really happy with them. And I think I'm happy with them because they they create characters and speak to this kind of world worldness in a way that makes sense to me. And I and I feel quite happy with how I've done that. And and particularly in that balance between choice uh random elements and and the fixed elements um and i i won't i won't bang on about it too much but i i really you know when we talk you you're talking earlier about 
the design time you spend on character creation. And I really spent a long time trying to get trying to get that interplay between those elements uh, working as what was my criteria what was my aim it was that it would feel like a thoroughly enjoyable experience for someone to create a character and not feel like they're being punished um for something or that that some things were out of their control and yet they're still tapping into certain things so just very briefly you know it uses paired it uses paired abilities like lasers and feelings or as i understand a bit like pendragon but i need to do my homework mm. on that um so if you choose and so you so it's d6 you roll you roll the dice let's say i roll a two that means in that pair i've got a two and a four and on that horizontal pair, I can choose where I put the two and the four. So I, I felt like that gives people a sense of agency, but they also get that kind of, they, they also have to accept that, that downside, that lower stat with the two, but they're rationalizing that process. And happy, happy coincidence, I suppose, is that if you roll a six, you can choose how you want to split those six points. So mm -hmm. again, there's that opportunity, which comes through the random elements. And then and a thing that really surprised me was that I, I adopted a, a fixed damage system, basically. It's split between a kind of Bastion Land D6 damage for a critical hit, but for normal hits, it's, it's a one plus your weapon value. So normally it would be a two. So... I, I hadn't really realized how liberating a fixed damage system would be as much as I've played Bastion Land. And I think it, it allows characters to create whatever weapon they want, to use it in whatever weapon they want. But the simple fact of the matter is, is it an ordinary weapon or is it a heavy weapon? You know, and so you could have a, a feather, a poisoned feather, which is a heavy weapon. Don't ask me how you would deal with that, but you could have it. It would be your choice. It could be a giant dinosaur feather. There you go. Absolutely. Made, uh, yeah, which fossilized also. Yeah. But, uh, but then you get into the negotiation. And I think that's an interesting thing where as between the GM and the players, where there's a bit of negotiation about what, characters could be like i always think that's quite interesting i think if if the gm is willing to open up a lot of the decisions and the world to player ideas i think it's, it's also interesting to just kind of finesse have that discussion with the players about the way the groups the the, the gang is going to work and how that feather that dinosaur feather heavy weapon is, is going to actually function because um, it's fun it's fun to do that yes so me rambling on about that I, I, I you've talked a little bit about um pilgrimage of the sun guard it's is is there more you would say generally or about tannic or about anything with this kind of choice 
random and fixed. I didn't really, uh, for Tannic, I didn't, I actually, rare for me, did not include any like flavor tables. It's fairly short. Mm -hmm. It's only like, I think it's like 30 pages because I was mm -hmm. more interested for that to focus on like other elements of um, events and, and like randomness mm -hmm. around that and things of that nature. So I did not focus on that as hard. In terms of pilgrimage, I feel like I've talked about it probably pretty exhaustively. Mm. But, mm. Um, but then more, more just about whether these these three elements mm. speak to you but, in, in how you configure character creation or think about it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so we, I think characters are able to choose within a sandbox, essentially, of four archetypes. Um, mm. And then there's like a menu within, like a very brief menu within each of like, what is their cherished item? They then roll for their essentially their their resource pool or their stats quote unquote mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and then a further element of randomness is like the signs and portents that they're operating under which mm -hmm. becomes a resource but a strange one that they can use to resolve challenges <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. i think that with that you end up creating a character who's tied to like an ancient order or belief system in some way um whether they took shelter there they're a true believer you know mm -hmm. they're like a, a veteran who went there for atonement you know there's just like a lot or they're a scholar who went there because it's where knowledge has been preserved and so mm -hmm. then that implies a setting where is knowledge mm -hmm. not being preserved um mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. is this this uh like location is this like i uh, i read something that uh i want to say grumpy wizard wrote it's called it's called D, &D is uh is a setting is implied post collapse so it's not like a post apocalypse but it's like post like an epoch of like an empire or like a large civilization and so mm -hmm. that is something that was written after i wrote pilgrimage but definitely aligns with my own thinking about like how things like the like we are always building on the collapses of other civilizations and the way mm -hmm. that like the the tides of history are mm -hmm. and so i i think that that ties into the impl implications of the character creation of pilgrimage mm -hmm. and and of course the relationship of those characters to that history and that world which i suppose again is is what runequest yes uh is is trying to do but four pages uh, anyway is is there anything uh in terms of character creation that you would like to have a go at in future that isn't hidden in a secret bunker of plans that you've yet to announce uh, in general i am not the biggest writer of games uh pilgrimage just kind of happened but um i'm not saying that i couldn't ever write another game but it would I would have to have the idea for it in a way that like and like feel sufficiently inspired. Mm -hmm. So does this mean you've got a bit of a game, but you're just going to focus on uh, scenarios? Is that your plan? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to someone about it yesterday. And it's just like I just am more I like creating complex problems in terms mm -hmm. of like interpersonal problems for adventures. And, and and that just is like more interesting to me to write because then i get to write lots of characters 
See? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that that I just have more fun with that, but it doesn't mean that, um, I, you know, I might write another game eventually. And who knows these, these projects I've talked about, they might not happen or they might. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you heard about them here first and last. Maybe last. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I suppose from my side, I think I, I think initially I thought, Oh great. Yeah. Scenarios. And then something happened and and I really got into the the idea of system design and I basically have two systems that I've created one one that's that's associated with the stone age game alluvial planes which I call the vantage system which uses uh simple colored custom dice just d6 is a dice pool so it's a dice pool loads of dice and I don't want to say it's more complicated because it's still minimalist. But then the the counterpoint system, which again will be used in this new project, if that all works out, that to me is the, is the really simple one. So I feel like I've got a super simple system and I've got a, a simple but more complex one. Uh, and I feel like that's satisfying. I just need to kind of really finish them keep going and finish them there's always something that pops up and this this reminds me of this wonderful term that that a colleague showed me from a from a pixar book about how pixar works and and they have this word which is simplexify and i think that's great so you've got all of the characteristics of complexity but used for the purpose of simplicity so simplexify i think is great yeah should we call it a day today I think so. If folks want to send us any like thoughts they have on character creation systems they like, or any thoughts about anything we talked about, uh, they should. They definitely should. And we're talking to you, Jason, especially. And if we talk about scenarios, maybe next time, then people could also perhaps share some thoughts about that. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me in the the, on, on the Loco Ludus project, it's wonderful to have you. I am so delighted to be here. Uh, what do I, well, how would you like to say goodbye to everybody? I'll leave that to you. Uh, see you next time, I guess, or in your earbuds. 